With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. called them uh, good black men. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, shout out to our man Al out there. And I don't know what Nick eating at. I, I ain't missing again. So we got to get up that milk carton and uh, put it up and see if somebody can identify other co-hosts. He's somewhere in the world. I know. <laughs> <laughs> shout I out to eating hot wings and, yeah. and doing something. Enjoying his time and enjoying his family. I ain't mad at him for that right there. But, you know, come on, Nick. Come on home, you know what I'm saying? We want to have you back home. Um, you know, Gene, there's been a lot going on since our last show. And uh, for all those that missed our show this past Thursday, you know, it's available for download right now. It's called, uh, oh, my God, wow, uh, Silent Voice. I almost forgot the show. It's called it? Event. The no, no, I'm talking about the Thursday show. See, we, oh, we Thursday. try to go back oh, yeah. in chronological order. So, I mean, we're talking about the Thursday show. And then we're going to go back to the Sunday show, which was the event, the verdict. That was a great show. I mean, it was very touching. A lot of people shared their opinions and thoughts in regards to the Trayvon Martin case. Uh, well, the George Zimmerman case. I have to correct myself with that. But, you know, we wanted to get everybody the opinion, I mean, the, the opportunity to express their opinions and, and talk about how they felt about this verdict. Now, a lot of us out there were still, you know, feeling a certain way about this verdict. Uh, you know, we, we we definitely still have a long way to go to let this go. And for those that are telling us to uh, let's move on, let's get over it, um, you know, you really need to fall back on that because, you know, even with grief, you have to go through stages. And, you know, this was so touching to so many of us. You know, it's an opportunity for us to let go and, and let that out and get all that energy out there. And so we won't do nothing crazy and burn up nothing or blow up something or tear something up. So, you know, for all those that would like to express themselves, you still know, I will tell you once again, you are welcome to come to this show. Come on over here and express yourself. What do you thought about our show last week, Jen? I thought it was very important. I I think that, like you said, a lot of people's emotions were very high, and it gave everyone a chance to, you know, tell how they feel and get it out. It was just a 
very, I, I physically, I was physically moved by the verdict that happened in the Zimmerman case, and I know that I wasn't alone. And you know, just reading from my news feed on my Facebook and you know Twitter, and it, it, it was just so many people were affected. And, and we talked about a lot of things that I think a lot of conversations started, uh, not only on Blog Talk Radio for the Middlemen, but across the country that I think needed to happen about race about how we see each other, uh, about our um, neighborhoods, and uh, about children. And, and those were important conversations to start. That's very true. And, and, you know, we definitely have to continue and don't forget. Please don't forget because, you know, we, we, we almost like a microwave-type thought process. You know, with, with our people, we have that microwave thought process. It's, it's done, it's over with, and we're on to the next thing. With this situation... We still have to, you know, talk to our children. We have to converse with each other. We have to continue this moment and this movement forth on so we can just just keep keep this thing and don't let it go, basically. That's what I'm just saying. Just Let's, let's not let this young man die in vain. No, Bye. and not only Trayvon, but let's not be complacent about all children. You know that, or you know, what's the famous saying? An injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. <laughs> and, cool. and you know, we just can't be complacent because you know we we go about our own lives in our own world, and we're not you know directly affected until it just directly hits us. And I think that a lot of us are, are becoming complacent. And I said all the time, the house is on fire. The house is on fire, and then we're all just sitting here. And it's time for us to smell the smoke. Oh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I had the chance to sit back and talk to my son about it for a few seconds. You know, and it's like, and, and my daughter, you know, it's like they, they realize that racism is real now. You know what I mean? They finally yeah. see that racism is still real in life. You know, it, it, it was something that they would just connect to us and us only. You know, but now they see that it happens in their generation. You know, it, it's a lot for them to just take on at this moment and realize that, you know, like I explained to my daughter, you know, you're, you're the same age as him. You know, that could have been you. You could have been walking mm-hmm. home with a, a hoodie on and they didn't see you and you're running and all of a sudden they shoot. But, uh, you know, Al and I was talking a little bit before the show and uh, he brought us some interesting points in regards to the whole situation with uh, George Zimmerman. They say possibly there was another person in the truck with him, Gene. Oh, wow. Person. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah, they say they have the unfiltered, unedited, or it hasn't been touched at all, the uh, 911 audio. He was speaking to someone else in the truck, you know, indirectly opposed to talking to the 911 person. And uh, as you, some of y'all may know or may not know, the jurors, I mean, they had, un, you know, undocumented undocumented visitors. I mean that's oh, wow. not. I mean it's it's so much stuff coming out right now. I don't know what they can do with it, but um, you know if well I know what they can do with it. They take off to Eric Holder and mm-hmm. and they hold George Zimmerman and the state of Florida accountable for violating Trayvon Martin's civil rights. That's that's what they can do do it. And you know whoever is out there and you you know. This is my personal opinion, and you're donating to his fund where he's receiving over $30,000 a month in funds from people across this country supporting him killing a child. You know, I think that we should sue him for every penny of that and him not sit fat somewhere, you know, in the couch watching TV, enjoying his life while Trayvon is cold in the cemetery and his parents and the world are grieving for him, and I think they should sue him civilly. And I think they should sue him federally 
so he can go to jail and pay for what he did, and what he did was kill a child. I totally agree, and uh, we also don't want to forget um, Marissa Alexander. You know, I know there's some petitions out there that are circulating right now. You guys make sure you sign a petition because for this young lady to go to jail for shooting in the air for 20 years, I mean, she didn't have a prior criminal record. Nobody was injured. No one was murdered. She fired that warning shot in the air to let that man know, leave me alone. And she got 20 years. So if y'all see any of those posts out there on Facebook, share it. You know what I'm saying? Give it to your friends. Make everybody aware of what's going on. And we also have another situation with a young man in Florida, uh, with a young man being uh, murdered in the back of his car. I'm not going to say he shot. He was murdered, Jen. You know, mm-hmm. and that that's another travesty that we're having to deal with. So at this moment in time, nothing. we're, we're not going to let up because, I mean, there's so much going on that, you know, you can't forget this type of situation. It's, it's like... Recently, it's, it's been continuing. It just—it's like people just don't realize that we are human, and that, you know, somewhat leads us to what we're talking about today, uh, where you know, being a young black male, you know what I'm saying? Just, just the image of us is it's on trial. You mm-hmm. know, we've been villainized, and and it, and I mean, they just demonize us to the to the max, and we're tired of it. We got to take a stand, y'all. We got to step up. We got to make something happen so we can change the image. I know there's a lot of mothers that listen to us, a lot of aunts and sisters, a lot of brothers out there that listen to us. You know, take the time and spread this information to your community, to your peers. Spread this information to them so they can know and be aware. If we don't be aware, we're going to be blind to the fact of what's going on. It is. And I and I heard a very interesting phrase over the weekend. I've, I've heard this repeated over and over and over again. And I heard the phrase, um, Racial uh, hustlers, race hustlers, and poverty pimps, and so many people are are putting this phrase out there and making people feel guilty about what they know is real, about what they know is happening in their communities. And if you let these people infiltrate your thoughts and infiltrate how you feel, a legitimate feelings, then we don't fix the problem. All we do is cover it up and cover it up, and we build this powder keg. And I think that's what happened to America. We build this, you know, we have these horrible race relations. We have these horrible, you know, social economic problems, and we don't solve them. All we do is put a Band-Aid on them, and we don't talk about them. And like you said, KG, you know, we really need to get out there and, and keep speaking about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, if you're just tuning in to the Middleman Talk Show, today we are talking about the vilification part two. We had a show a little while ago about the vilification of the black male. We want to kind of carry on that conversation. This is dealing with the image of the young black male. Are they on trial? Um, we're going to continue this conversation because, I mean, it's it's an offspring of what happened with Trayvon Martin. And the angle today is the vilification. Uh, more so in recent years, with the advancement of media technology and constant bombardment of negative images of black males, the images of young black males have been vilified and demonized into the psyche of Americans. That's black and white alike. So not only are the white people scared of our young male because of the images that are portrayed, black people are scared of young black males. And that's mm-hmm. something we get definitely got to talk about tonight. Um, stats such as crime... Uh, prison population and fathers not being in the home have fueled the negative stereotypes to another level. And if you listen to us enough, you know that's one of the things we talk about, these negative stereotypes that we have on black males and females because 
it's not just us being affected by this image that's out there. And, and you know, in America, we definitely, you know, this is a society that you're free to think and do as you please, but we're just getting bombarded by so much bad things in our community. And what really has happened in America, what will happen, what really has to happen in America as far as us getting this conversation open and honest, the dialogue definitely needs to happen. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And how much damage have, um, how much damage is self-inflicted by black males in regard to his own image? And uh, do black males have victim syndrome, or do they really, are they really being victimized? How can we connect, uh, how can we correct all the misinformation in regards to the crimes that black males perpetrate? How can we talk about that and get that, that misinformation that all black males are committing crimes? I got some stats and things that we're going to go over a little bit later on from the FBI and some of the other things that we're going to talk about as far as in regards to crime and how we are getting treated, mistreated uh, at a higher level. And do blacks need to take another approach in educating our black children in life skills and etiquette? So these are some of the things we're going to talk about today on the Middleman Talk Show this Sunday. If you would like to get in this conversation, please dial 718-508-9972. And I want to give a shout-out to our man, uh, Joe, uh, Chuck and George out there, <laughs> Cotton Kings. Man, appreciate you, man. The whole world will be picking cotton uh, soon, and that's not in a bad term. they talking about their T-shirt brand, so you make sure that you support those guys out there also. But, uh, Gene, yeah. I apologize mm-hmm. for fumbling bumming. My screen was going in and out over here. Okay. Uh, but right now we're going to get into uh, this this comment that was made by our president. Yes, as you know, I don't agree with a lot of the things he stated in at times. But yes, I know. With this comment that this brother made this past week, and, and our our blog talk radio uh, co-host friend or whatever whatever you want to call him, uh, you know, uh, coworker or whatever you want to call him. Tavis Smiley said that this was the weakest thing he's heard the president say. It was too late. He's leaving from behind. So I don't oh, agree with I, that. I, I don't yeah, Tavis, that. I don't know Yeah, I don't like that. But we're going to uh, play President Obama's uh, what it is to be a black male in America and the challenges that he's faced. So if you haven't heard this this week, you're hearing it again. We're probably going to play this more than once. But I want you all to hear what President Obama had to say about Trayvon Martin. Here we go. When uh, Trayvon Martin was first shot, Uh, I said that this could have been my son. Uh, Another way of saying that is uh, Trayvon Martin could have been me uh, 35 years ago. And when you think about why, in the African-American community at least, um, there's a lot of pain around what happened here, uh, I think it's important to recognize that the African-American community is looking at this issue through uh, a set of experiences and a, and a history that uh, that doesn't go away. There are very few African-American men in this country who haven't had the experience of being followed when they were shopping in a department store. That includes me. There are very, very few African-American men who haven't had the experience of walking across the street and hearing uh, the locks click on the doors of cars. That happens to me, at least before I was a senator. There are very few African-Americans who haven't had the experience of getting on an elevator and a woman clutching her purse uh, nervously uh, 
and holding her breath until she had a chance to get off. That happens often. And I I don't want to exaggerate this, but those sets of experiences inform how the African-American community interprets uh, what happened uh, one night in Florida. Uh, And it's inescapable for people to bring those experiences to bear. Uh, The African-American community is also knowledgeable that uh, there is a history of racial disparities in the application of our criminal laws. Uh, Everything from the death penalty to enforcement of our drug laws. Uh, And that ends up having an impact in terms of how people interpret the case. Uh, Now this isn't to say that the African American community is naive about the fact that African American young men uh, are disproportionately involved in the criminal justice system, uh, that they're disproportionately both victims and perpetrators of violence. Um, It's not to make excuses for that fact, uh, although black folks do interpret uh, the reasons for that in a historical context. We understand that some of the violence that takes place in poor black neighborhoods around the country uh, is born out of uh, a very violent past in this country, and that the poverty and dysfunction uh, that we see in those communities uh, can be traced to a very difficult history. Uh, and so the fact that sometimes that's unacknowledged uh, adds to the frustration. Now, that was President Obama, you know, speaking on his trials his tribulations as a black male in America, the things that he see that we go through. And I do agree with the self-accountability that he was speaking upon in his speech. Um, There's a level of self-accountability in that. And also, you know, we're not as naive as people think we are as far as everything being rooted in racism. But at the same time, this is America. It was founded on a certain premise, which is carried to this day. Um. Him just stating that he could have been Trayvon 35 years ago, that was powerful. Because some people only look at him as this or that. They, you know, they, they're not just, they're not putting him in the right frame as far as him being human and being a regular guy. You know, they look at him like he's not smart enough or whatever the case may be. Whatever some people think about the president. Excuse me, the president. But I do appreciate his genu- genuine heartfelt words in that speech, Jen. How did you feel about it? I do, too. I I really felt that, number one, I was proud. And number two, I think it made real that when he said that these things have happened to me, they weren't President Obama the president, but they were President Obama a college Harvard graduate, a Harvard graduate. Man, before he even was a senator, he still was a Harvard graduate. This person who was not a thug, who was, you know, somebody who was educated or, you know, was a possibly a reputable person in the community, had these experiences. Because I think, you know, like I said earlier, these terms, race hustlers and, you know, poverty pimps, that people really surprised when this when the verdict came down. And I've had people that are my friends, you know, 
all my life or I knew them in high school or, or growing up and, and they really did not understand why I felt the way I felt. And I think that President Obama put into words how you feel that these experience that experiences that you cannot escape that happen to you on a constant basis shape the way that you view the world. And I thought that it was very important to say. I thought it was a beautiful thing to say. And if you've ever listened to The Middleman, you know Jennifer loves Barack Obama. And it just made me fall in love, you know, even more with his spirit and, you know, in disrespect. Having the courage, because it is a lot of people out there that, that should be speaking up about what happened and uh, don't speak up. And I will call them out, and I'm talking about the Christian community. I'm talking about mm-hmm. George Martin, who is in Florida. You know, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And these people should be speaking out and coming out in droves about what happened, and they are, are silencing themselves. And, and I don't understand why. It took a lot of courage for the president to say that. Oh, yeah, and, and I agree with you. Um, as a black man and just dealing with the things that he's dealt with, you know, it, it, it makes me proud to see him say that. As I was watching, you know, Meet the Press today, and, you know, one of the uh, talking heads was just saying that, if he said that about that case, why he didn't say this about this case? I mean, it still leads back to being relatable to that situation. You know, I, I feel sorry for the mother out here in Georgia that the two little guys, black guys, shot her son in the face, little kid in the face. But it was more to that story than what she even knew because, you know, they reported it on the news out here. But, but, you know, not only that, it, number one, that case got covered. Number two, they did not hesitate about arresting the horrible people that committed that crime. This case was about this person committed a crime. This is why it got attention. They committed a crime, and the, the justice system in the state of Florida refused to acknowledge that this person had committed a crime. They refused to arrest him at first. It yeah. took a time to arrest him. They they didn't want to go to trial, you know, th- that it was even offensive to them that, you know, this was, you know, it was unquestionable that he w- had, uh, the, you know, self-defense or whatever. And so that is why the difference between the cases, I don't see why people don't get that. Just like, you know, you hear this now more than ever, black-on-black crime, black-on-black oh, wow. crime. They're, they are arresting, you know, the, you never hear about them having any problems arresting these people that, you know, commit black-on-black crime. You know, it, it is, you know, it's just not being covered by national news. There are mother's groups, there's churches, there's people that stand up, but it's just not being covered. Because what's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, what we're talking about today, what's interesting is covering black villains and, right. you know, uh and, and, and white victims, and I just will be blunt and say that. That's what's interesting to the media. Well, I mean, as a question that we pose, is this a fair assessment on the black males as far as all the stereotypes and negative things that they put out there? Um, we, I know we do have sectors in our society, in our communities, that do portray and, and, and do these things and, and do a lot of stuff negative, but I, but I understand also that there are other factors that make them be the way that they are. Um, yeah. If you gave everybody the opportunity, gave them jobs, houses, everything, I guarantee you one or two of them out of ten, one or two of them still going to want to do wrong because that's what they are. That has nothing to do with their color or their race. That's just who they are. But in this society, what happens is we are all vilified. We're vilified in that same light with, with you know, that, that, broad, that broad stroke. Boom, all black guys are bad. Boom, all black guys don't take care of their kids. Boom, all black guys don't want to work. They're lazy. We get painted with that brush all the time, and I think it's unfair because that image that 
that they portray is not a good one for our future, for our psyche, for this country if they wanted to be successful. But I, I think my, my opinion is is that we, we cannot look at, you know, even the last 50 years. We must go back further than that. And the reason why black people have to be portrayed as negative in the light of the world is to keep you economically in, in enslavement. And, and, and to do that, it, it keeps the rich rich, and it keeps the poor poor, and it keeps everyone in line in the circle that they want them to be. If you make people scared of a certain people, you wouldn't be so inclined to help them. You wouldn't be so inclined to help them raise economically. You mm-hmm. wouldn't be so inclined to give these people jobs. It is, it's, a, it, it's always been about the money. Since 1613, it's been about the money. It's been That's about true. the money. Uh, you know, when we were first brought here and the images and you see on, you know, these old posters of the slave bills and, and you go back to um, Nat Turner and, you know, where people used to go through communities and say these black men were going to kill white babies and white women. And the, and the thought that black men will rape your daughters and kill you, it was all because if it, it helped keep people in the place that they want you to be. Because they can have economic control if you are controlled in that manner. And they control other people, too, not just white people, too, because if they can control their image of another people, then, yep. you know, they won't reach out to those people. That's very true. Well, let's get to the meat of it, Jen. Let's get to the meat of it. How? How and, and what? Really not how, but what really needs to happen to make that dialogue honest? And open in regards to these racial issues and disparities that we have in this country. What really has to happen? If you would like to get in this conversation, the number is 718-508-9972. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys tonight also in this conversation. But what really needs to happen, Jen, for us to have a true, honest, open dialogue? Because I recall when Eric Holder said mm-hmm. that we are cowards. Oh, yeah. Everybody was up in arms. Everybody was, I can't believe he said that. But if you look at the basis of what he was saying, it's the truest statement you've heard on America Airways in years. So what do we need to do to get us to that point where where this, this dialogue would just be so just raw and real, where, where people will take the time to listen to you, your plight, and what you're going through, and take the time, and you will take the time to hear them. What do we need to do to get to that point? I think number one is not being afraid and not giving in to the fear. Start having these conversations and don't be afraid about offending anyone. And be honest about the situation and calling people out for, you know, situations that you have. I had a situation where I was racially profiled in a store, and I called the manager, and I spoke up in the store, and we need to start speaking up instead of letting it go. Because so many times we just say, Whatever, And we let it go. We need to start speaking up and saying, no, you're not going to treat me this way. I am a citizen. And a number two, and I hope I don't offend anyone because I I do not advocate violence at all. I think violence is ugly, and I think, you know, as a Christian, I I don't advocate violence. But in the 60s, what happened when gun control laws started to appear on the books, uh, especially in California, is when the Black Panthers decided to say, we are citizens too. And we're going to exercise our citizens' rights. We're going to exercise the amendment that y'all love throwing in our face so much. And that's the Second Amendment. And they start carrying guns. 
and got gun uh, permits. And then all of a sudden, all these gun laws popped up. And I think mm-hmm. if black, you know, people of color or people anywhere start exercising your rights and say, I'm a citizen, I bet you if a whole bunch of you know, black men went and legally got permits to carry guns. I bet you a whole lot of people would be scared, and a whole lot of people would change their mind about gun control in this country. You know they will. That's just being honest. You know they will. I mean, me personally, I, I, I like to sit down and talk to people and see where they're coming from. Because, a lot, like, like I had to express to an older white lady I was talking to one day, if we both sat down and talked to each other, we'll see we have a lot of things in common. There's some things we definitely won't have in common. But for that dialogue, in my opinion, to happen, people got to get off that high horse. And I'm not talking about us, and I'm not talking, I am talking about them. I'm talking about some white people, not all. Because there are some white people that will sit down and talk to you about race relations. There are some white people that don't mind to, to see where you're coming from, your struggles, your trials, and your tribulations. But there are a lot that, hey, I don't care about what you come from. The only thing you're doing is complaining. The only thing you do is want a handout because of the images that are portrayed of us as a people. The only thing you want is a handout. You don't want to work. Just like I've heard people say about Trayvon, oh, he was a thug. He was a gun-toting thug. He was this. He was that. But that right there is just like we said in the open statement. That That's something that, that that's in our psyche right now. That's black and white gen. I mean, when you look at it is, you can hear it some is. of our older blacks now talk about young black males that have their pants hanging down to their leg, to their ankles, which I don't care for that. I, I'm one of the ones, I don't want to see your drawers. I don't want to see nothing below your belt buckle. That ain't my forte. But at the same time, I'm not going to try my, I'm going to try my best not to prejudge that man and be prejudiced against him. You know, because they had stories out there where they showed pictures of these young men standing on the corner out there doing their thing. They go up and talk to them, you know, and mm-hmm. find out that these guys are college educated. They're just wearing that particular style of clothes because it's popular now. Well, I think that the kind of conversations that we need to start having with children is that, you know, the people that you're trying to imitate, the, the you know, what's cool with the clothes and the music and stuff like that, they are in an economic position where they can wear whatever they want. They can come outside in their drawers if they want to because they're in that economic position. Until you allow yourself or put yourself in a path of economic advancement where you do not have to answer to anyone, mm-hmm. then you don't have the luxury to do that. Because one lesson I think cor- that ta- corporate America taught me and that I think you learn when you get any job anywhere, that reality is not reality, that perception is reality. If that makes any sense. And I think that that is not being taught to our children. That I don't care what is real or what is reality, that that does not matter in the world that feeds you. In the world that feeds you, perception is the only reality that is real. And until you put yourself in an economic position where you can create your own reality. And that is a hard lesson that a lot of people are not teaching their children. Our phone lines are open, 718-508-9972. If you're just tuning in, we are talking about the vilification part two, the image of the young black male on trial. Um, one thing, Jen, also I would like to ask in regards to that, because it kind of leads to this right here. How much of the damage is self-inflicted by the black male in regards to his own image? How much of that is on him? How much of, you know, the media portrays us in a certain light, regardless of what we do. And they stick to it. You can look at regular, and I don't know if some of y'all just really did this. Next time you watch TV and you look at commercials, 
Count how many black males you see in those commercials within that segment between the show. You may see one, you may see two, but the only way that America sees us nowadays is handcuffs, walking in the courtroom, gold teeth, braids or dreads, sagging pants, violence, whatever the case may be. How much of that right there is self-inflicted on us as black males? I think we talk about this all the time on the show. I think that a lot of the black men that, you know, need to step up and know that this is a village and, and, you know, you're just not out for self and that when you see that young brother, you know, maybe he doesn't have a lot of images of positive black men in his life. It's up to you to step up and to talk to him and to to say something to him and, and to reach out to him because it takes a village to correct, you know, the thinking, you know, uh, and the way we treat ourselves. I think a lot of us, we we play into the image of, you know, they have defined us and, and we just play the role instead of we defining us. And I, and I think that we have to learn how to teach our children to define ourselves. And like I said, give our own selves economic power, and that is through education. That is through, you know, learning trades and opening businesses and, and take communities back. We let go. We got so complacent. You know, when they let us use their bathroom and they let us use their restaurant, right. we thought it was okay. I, I said this blankly, you know, during the Trayvon, you know, where people say, well, everything is okay now. Why? Because I can use the same bathroom as everyone now? No, it's not okay because a lot of the same attitudes have not died. We have not economically risen. In fact, we, I think we've digressed. So, you know, we have to look at it in those lenses. Well, just my opinion as far as with, with the images that we have out here of our young black males, like you said, Jim, a lot of our kids don't understand they're not in the same money, you know, the money category as a lot of those guys. They they, they want to see and be what they saw on television. Um, I do agree with you as far as us getting out here and teaching these young men, you know, what we know. But this is not our grandfather's time. A lot of these young males that we have out here, not all of them, but their mind state is, you know, I'm doing for me. It's all about me. I'm about my money. I'm chasing my money. But they don't realize that if they look around them, they'll see so much damage that has been done to our children as far as mental Yes, emotional. There's so many young males out there that's hurting right now because their dad ain't in the house or they, they don't know how they're going to eat. They see their mom struggling. There's so many things that put you in the mind state of, of, of we definitely need help. But when you look at a lot of the people that do have the voices, and I hate to say this, I truly, truly hate to say this, but when you look at a lot of our, our entertainers, they have the ear of our community. I, I can walk around now and see young males with the tattoos on their eyes and on the middle of their foreheads. And like I said, I don't want to prejudge these guys. But the reality of it is, if you want to get a job, you cannot walk in there, as you said, Jen, in a Fortune 500 company with tattoos on your face. You can't have a Louis bag tattoo on your face. You know what I'm saying? But we got to take the self, as the president was saying, we got to take self-accountability in what we're going through. We have to take self accountability for our communities, for our lives, the whole nine. We got we got to step up because if we continue on the road that we're doing, I really do feel like they're gonna find a way somewhere along the line to round up all these young black males, and they're already doing it with the prisons. They're gonna find mm-hmm. another way to, you know, segment uh, segregate them from society. 
because they're going to deem them unfit for society by image. Because as you know now, with the stand your ground law, if you feel intimidated, somebody can walk up to your car and say, "Hey, I feel kind of scared that he walked into walked into my car and take your life away because of how yeah. he looked." Fear. That's the image that they scared of. They scared to see a young. See. There was another one that they had on there uh, on, on Facebook. I was scrolling down where uh, they had a gang of kids out there with hoodies on, but you pull it down, it was the class of Morehouse. You understand? Yeah, I saw but at that. The same mm-hmm. time, yeah, th- there's so many things that we can do to help ourselves out. Help, help ourselves out with as far as pulling up our pants, look in somebody's eyes when you talk to them, shake their hand firmly. I'm talking to my men out there. I'm not talking to boys. Do as your grandfather taught you or your great-grandfather or a good role model in your life that you know that is a good role model, that male. I'm not talking about the dude that drank beers all day and don't want to go to work. Ain't nothing wrong with y'all drinking beer, so don't call me. <laughs> talking about Y'all talking about you drinking <laughs> beer. No, nah, don't do that. But as far as the ones that are not doing anything positive, you know positive when you see it. You might not want to admit to it, but you know it. And a lot of these young brothers and a lot of them, t- a lot of people should take it, you know, example of these, you know, young people. Because a lot of young people are doing a lot in the community. A long time ago, it was your responsibility. The community sent you to college. The community praised you when you left out and you were leaving to better yourself because they knew that you would return back to your community and plant a seed of, you know, betterment, of empowerment amongst your community. And a lot of times we get so money hungry and we get so chasing what they, you know, like the carrot, the carrot and the stick. And that's what we want. We want the money and a nice car. And you can have all those things, but we cannot forget our communities, you know, back at home. Because if we don't, you know, plant the seed in those communities, we're never going to see change. Because I think we have this expectation, and this goes back to a slave mentality of they're going to do it for us. No, you must do it for yourself. That is your community. You must change it yourself. You know, they will do it, the government, the this, the this. No, you must take a personal responsibility that I will change me, and then I will go back and I will look... Once I got up the ladder, I will look back down and send the rope back down and help another person and and pass that on to someone else so they will keep doing it so we change our own community. And and to all those that, you know, just tuning in, we are talking about the vilification to the image of the young black male being on trial. Um, Repetition makes a difference. If I tell you that you're smart every day of your life, eventually you're going to think you're smart. But if I tell you you're dumb, evil, you're worthless or whatever the case may be, somewhere in your psyche it's going to break down and you're going to think and become that. So, mm-hmm. yes, we do talk about the same thing sometimes. But guess what? I want to beat it into your head that this is the positive that you can have out of your life if you want. This is what we're going to continuously tell you. And um, I see we do have a call. I think this is my man Lavelle out of Texas. Lavelle. What's going on, man? Hey, what's good, my brother? Hey. Man, I, I've been listening back and forth, man. The kids got me today. Okay. <laughs> What's your thought on it, man? What do you, What do you think about the topic that we're we're addressing tonight, my brother? I mean, uh, you know, like from a black male perspective, man, we've been vilified from day one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, even back in the days that we didn't pick that kind of do whatever they wanted us to do, we were the villains, and we we was only trying to live. So I mean. 
Now, it doesn't help that we as uh, black males come up and we don't embrace some of the, you know, some of the chivalry from, that's supposed to go on to society and our people. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, you know, it's blame. It, it's, it's more blame on one side than it is other. I know you hear me, you know, saying that, but the scales mm-hmm. of justice are uneven, you know? Very true. And, and, but, but we as black males, man, you know, we just need to get up on our thing. You know, we've been knowing this. Man, We listen, our great-great-granddaddy, you know, all these people had this conversation, but they were dying when they were having this conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we here and we free, and we still having this conversation. Like my sister was just saying, you know, black men go out, go to school or whatever, you know. Yeah, you got them freedom now, whereas at one time, man, we didn't have that, you know. So I think it should be a drastic change. But in order for it to be a change, man, and all that, we it got to be a change with the music people. It got to be a change with BET, uh, all this stuff that promoting to blacks because this stuff is being shown to our kids time and time and time again. You know, like the one show they got come on, the Bad Girl Club. You know, I had to ban that in my house. I walked in one day and seen it was playing. I asked my wife, I said, what it is? She said, oh, that was Bad Girl Club. I told her, never why this no more in my house. You know, I mean, stuff, man, stuff like that, I don't even want my kids around this end, but this is how they get our attention, you know, you know. It's it's distraction, it's distraction of a lot of ignorance, and, you know, you got to be careful what you watch because your eyes and your ears are windows to your heart and your soul. You know, you got to be careful. You gotta you know, very careful. You that. know, I'm, I'm gonna say this, man, and I'm gonna stop. You know, you can take, you can take uh, two kids. You know, you can mm-hmm. take two kids, and you can let this kid listen to Beethoven, Mozart. You know, you can teach him how to play tennis, and you know, don't teach him none of that uh, other stuff that goes on other places. And you can teach, teach the other child. You can take him through all of that. You know, that, that you know, that's not saying. That uh, either kid is gonna make it and progress and doing what you know the, what the picture says they're gonna do, but right. it's more likely that the child has been given the proper care and the nurturing is gonna be able to progress at a higher rate. We as black people are not giving our kids um, time to progress. We like we you know my brother bought my um, niece. She's only seven years old. He bought an iPhone. Man, you ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Wow. I do not want my kid exposed to Facebook, all this stuff like here. It, it, man, you know, you see what comes across that stuff. You know, yeah. so we as black men, you know, yeah, we being vilified, but at the same time, we doing the worst job of all. We vilifying our community, and we need to step up to the plate. And I'm a black man that was out there, done wrong stuff, and thanks to God, he gave me a, a time to come back around. So, you know, I know that it takes mercy and time. I ain't saying we're going to get it right, but we need to start doing more. You know what I'm saying? That's true. That's true, my brother. That's very well, true. Yeah, man, I'm on the, on the line enjoying the conversation. All right, man, we appreciate your call, LaVell. Yeah, thank I can't you take so it, much. And we appreciate it. Stay right. being positive, my brother. All right, that was up, bro. All right. And he, he made some good statements. You know, he's one of the ones that step up. You know, hopefully he can be a shining example to other men in his community, young men, where they see, okay, this guy's with his father. And I do see that a lot, Jim. I do see a lot of guys out there. With their children in the mall walking. That, that There's is a lie. Lie that they want you to believe, Kevin. Yep. That black men are fathers to their children. I have cousins. I have uncles. I have my own father. I have so many black men that I know that are fathers that work that you know do all these things. And I think that the, the small, disproportionate, you know, unfortunate, you know, villains that are villains in our community, they are the majority because mm-hmm. you know they they are the majority. It's just. They they are attacked 
like they are the majority, but I know so many men that love their kids and they and they play an important role in their life. Well, I'm going to kind of twist it up a little bit here with this question right here as far as do black males have the victim syndrome or are they really being victimized? And what I mean by that is I've seen guys that like, well, since society, and they don't say it in these exact words verbatim, but they like since you know, they, they won't, this, this girl won't let me take care of my child. The system is doing this to me or whatever the case may be. I ain't going to take care of my kid. Are these guys victims or they just have, they are, are they just really, you know, they got the little syndrome running in their head where they think they're not supposed to do that because as we just spoke with LaBelle, he's taking care of his kids. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people like, well, the police holding me back. This person holding me back. This person holding me back. How much of that is in our minds, and how much of that is really what's happening? Well, we can't think, be the man we need to be. I think, you know, and this is, I said, I'm a black woman. I would never understand what it is to be a black man, just like black men. I can relate probably good, but I, I don't know what it is to be a black man. But for my opinion is that deeper conversations need to be had. A lot of black men have low self-esteem. They Ooh. think, you know, they they let people define them. We spoke about this earlier. I yeah. am nothing. I'm not a provider. You know, uh, we, we did this on the show about black fathers where a lot of men think, well, I don't have any money to give or I don't have this or I'm not going to be a part of the child's life just knowing that the most important thing is for you to be there. And I think that so many black men have self-esteem because they have been beat down. They have made choices that are their own. You know, I'm not making excuses for anybody. They have made choices that, you know, affect our community um, negatively. And I think that if we start having the deeper conversation about repairing some of these men's self-esteem and building them up to the, the men that they then I think we'll start to see the other things trickle down and fix. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, we have to take take the time and make the effort to do the things we know we need to do right now to do the things we want to do later. That is something I've been told a lot from coaches, from good friends, from mentors, whatever the case may be. If that means you need to get your butt up and go to school to re-educate yourself, go do that. Don't wait till something hit the fan. Then you want to go out and try to re-educate yourself. Do that now. Matter of fact, we, we don't have to be a victim to no one. We can create. No. That's one thing about us, Jen. As a people, we have lost the, the will and the urge to create. And what I mean by create, I'm talking about Create that job where your wife don't have to go work for nobody else. Create that job and opportunity for the young black males that's in the neighborhood robbing won't have to rob anybody. Create uh-huh. that example that when they see you doing these things, they will emulate what you're doing because you are a creator, not one that's sitting up there and have to be a consumer all the time. you got to buy stuff from people, as we all know. Once we spend that one dollar in our community, what does it do, Jen? It goes out and don't come back. And Everybody else's community, it goes around eight times before it leaves. Yeah. There was a time in our community and our lives out here where we had things in our in our communities. For those that don't understand or don't know that, go do your history research. I'm talking about Black Wall Street, Rosewood. I know those are movies and, and examples of in history, but you can look at at the reconstruction. We've done so much in this country. We've done a lot in this country that they do not put in history books. They do not want you to know. And that's right, Kevin. You're 100% right. And I think that we need to start reclaiming. I think one disservice that 
um, um, integration did to us was that we lost our black businesses and our black schools, and, and we lost a, a lot of those things. And, you know, it, it's wonderful that we're around different cultures and we can learn from each other, but, you know, other cultures learn from everyone else, and they take those things and they go and they, you know, help their own communities to grow and to, to nurture, and, and we've forgotten how to do that. And, you know, and I, I think we have to take personal response, myself included, you know, mm-hmm. take personal responsibility. You know, how many kids do I, you know, do you mentor? Or how many, you know, people do you just go and talk to on a, you know, afternoon that you're watching TV? And a lot of people might think that is silly, but we have to start somewhere and start planting these seeds of, of reclaiming our community and know that it's important. Jay, not only that. I know a lot of us don't know how to begin to start on doing the things that Jen just talked about as far as uh, dedicating time to others and, and, and volunteering and, and things of those natures. But if you see somebody doing it, walk up to them. Hey, how did you get started doing that? Don't be scared because you have mm-hmm. to start somewhere because I'm telling you something. Fear is nothing but a part of the mind. you got to step out there and do it. Because if you want, a, what, what they say to Jen, a closed mouth, it's never fed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's not the the example of eating food itself. It's knowledge. If I don't ask you about knowledge, how can I, you know, obtain that knowledge from you? And I'm scared to ask you about that knowledge. Don't ever be scared to ask for knowledge. It's always there. It's, it's, it's in your presence right there in front of you. It could be your peers. It could be anybody by you. Now, if you're hanging around some jacked up people, maybe you need to change friends. I know Drake got this on No New Friends. Sometimes you need to change your old friends. Yeah, very true. And surround yourself with positive people. And if we start isolating these people that are are betraying, you know, us as uh, wrongly and incorrectly to the world, if we start isolating these people who, you know, uh, advocate violence, people who advocate drugs, people who advocate negative things in our community, if we start taking the responsibility of isolating these people and not promoting them and not giving money to them, then things will change. I say that all the time. Stop, stop, stop giving these people your money. Stop listening to them. Stop going to their movies. Stop buying their CDs or iTunes. Stop doing it. And if you change the money, you change the action. That's Because it's all about the money. And, and if you don't believe that, I'm telling you now, if everybody decides not to buy gas for one day, watch this country come to his knees. That's on the real. So Even true. a percentile of us, it will come to his knees. Now, Jen, you kind of led me to my next question that I want to get into. And like I said, the phone lines are open. The number to dial is 508-9972. The phone lines are open if you have any comments out there on anything that we spoke upon today. Don't have to wait till the end of the show to say anything, but we welcome you guys' opinion. Um, Let's talk about this misinformation in regards to the crimes that black males perpetrate. Um, You know, we definitely need to correct the statistics out there because... If you watch TV, you think, and I've heard many of people of different colors say, you guys create all the problems in America because you're the criminals. But yet and still, we only make up the smallest, minute part of the, the equation as far as this population. We're what, 12%, 15%, whatever, because they, they, they jostle the number all the time. But if we're so small of the percentile, why are we so much largely the prison uh, population? And, because um, we're the most punished. Check this out. And that, that is something to think about. Now, I got some crime stats from 2011, and you know, the FBI only put these crime stats out every year or so. 
Now, Jen, I'm gonna ask you something. Now, this is something that's kind of crazy right here. Mm-hmm. Of all the crimes that are committed in America, out of 100 percent, how much do you think black people um, really put into that percentile? I don't know, 20 percent. Oh, you so wrong. You so close. Wow. You must know something here. Blacks only create 28.4% of all the crimes that's done in America. While our counterparts, y'all know what I'm talking about, and this ain't bashing them, but they love to portray us as the ones that are doing the wrong, they do 69.2% of all the crimes in America. Mm-hmm. 69.2%. Now, when we go to the violent crimes, where do you think we at, Jen? Uh, maybe... Because you know they said so much black-on-black crime. Yeah, so are we, like, maybe 30, 30%? You must be looking at my nose, girl. Get away from my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I read about this a lot. Go ahead. I'm just saying, we're only 38.3% of the violent crimes that happen in America. Our counterparts, wow. 59.4. Property crime, they think we're breaking into everybody's home. We only commit... 29.5% of that. Our counterparts, wow. 68.1%. Now, this terminology that they love to put out there, black on black crime. Yes, we do create 70 to 85% of the crimes that we do portray on each other because they're in our own communities. But guess what? 86% of white on white crime is portrayed by white people to white people. Mm-hmm. So but they're not the scary villains. They don't villain. say this, Jen. They don't say yeah. that. This is the misinformation that they put out there in, in regards to us perpetrating crimes. Now, if you're not the lead in the numbers statistically, you know, look, people look, oh, the statistic says, oh, that, that, you can't be right. The statistic says that you guys do all the crimes. These numbers are not, they're not, they're not saying that, Jen. They're not well, saying if, that. If they, if they told the world those numbers, then the people that, you know, sell the the lock the double locks on the doors will lose money. The the gun people who make Lockheed Martin who makes guns and all this weapons and things, they will lose money. The people that, you know, sell uh, you know, all this protective gear and all this stuff that people buy, they would lose money because, you know, it's again it goes back to America has from the its beginning and birth has made money off the fear of everyone else. About perpetrated lies. Look what happened to um, terrorists when, you know, Muslims in this country after 9-11. And, you know, people were going out and buying gas masks and uh, grenades, oh, and, yeah. you know, all kind of things. That stuff does not happen. You know, you know, it's very unfortunate. One of the most horrific things that's happened in our country's history with 9-11. But, you know, you know, Joe Smo down at the 7-Eleven doesn't need a full, you know, survival kit. You know, gas mask, you know, to survive. That's just not going to happen to him. But they made that very real. They made it so real on the news that people were, you know, thinking about Some people made bomb shelters in their houses. I know. I've seen it. They they, they definitely got the arsenal in there. They sitting with all type of guns and everything else. That, that, that got to be crazy. Now, y'all check this out. And shout out to my man Joseph Ivy out there listening to us live on the Internet also. I want to give a shout out to him because he's... Great support and all the people that are listening on our web chat over there and online. But these are top ten facts pertaining to the criminal justice system impact on communities of color. Uh, the first one, while P- 
people of color make up about 30%. When they say people of color, they're not just talking about black people. They're talking about Mexicans and all the other Indians and whoever else. Do they even consider Indians white uh, or black or color? Uh, well, they should, anyway. they consider them, well, actually, since they killed off all of them and put them on reservations, they don't even consider them, I guess, people. They've kind of just forgot about most of oh, them. Well, yeah, well, people of color of the United States population, that's 30% of all of us that do have color in us, um, they make or account for 60% of those in prison. Now, you only make up 30% of the population, but 60% of you are in prison? They say one in every 15 African-American men and one in every 36 Hispanic men are incarcerated in comparison to one in every 106 white men. So it'll take 106 white males before one of them get locked up, Jen. Wow. But with us, one out of 15. You can go on a school bus right now and get one of them right now. You can get two, three, four black people off that bus. Of martyr and take him to jail. Is that right? Yeah, that's All true. Right. Number two, according to the bureau, uh, the the bureau of justice statistics, one in three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. One in three gen. That's one in alarming. three can go to jail. Number three, students of color face harsher punishment in schools than their white peers, leading to a higher number of youth. Of colors incarcerated. So, you know, like I know, a lot of young males, prison to what is school to prison pipeline. We talked about that a little bit before. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a lot of our young guys going to prison straight out of school. School is somewhat set up for those guys to go to straight to jail. And that's crazy. Number four, according to recent data by the Department of Education, African American students are arrested far more often than their white classmates. We ain't even had to say that because we see it happen all the time. Just like with the little young lady that was in Texas that pushed the security guard who pushed her, and she got sent to a she got a felony behind that, a felony. Jean. Do you recall that? That's crazy. Yeah, I do, I do recall that, and I recall being alarmed at why more people aren't alarmed. Mm-hmm. Number why, five. Why? Mm-hmm. Number five. I just did them Friday. Yeah. I, I just had a Steve Harvey moment. Number six. <laughs> As the number of women incarcerated has increased by 800% over the last three decades, women of color have been disappropriately represented. 800%, Jen. That's crazy. 800%. Number seven. The war on drugs have been waged primarily in communities of color where people of color are more likely more likely to receive higher offenses. According to the Human Rights Watch, people of color are no likely more no more likely to use or sell illegal drugs than whites, but they have higher rates of arrest. So that goes back to the theory of the cocaine laws. Remember that when President Obama mm-hmm. had that change? You had the cocaine versus the crack. But yet, it's still, we still going to jail behind this. We're Number still. eight. Once convicted, black offenders receive longer sentences compared to their white offenders. We know that. You can go steal a mm-hmm. hubcap. Remember the dude stole a piece and got 10 years? Stole one piece and got 10 years, Jen. Crazy. Yeah. Number nine. Voter laws that prohibit 
people with felonies convictions to vote disappropriately uh, impact men of colors. I got a good friend right now that had something on his record. He wanted to vote, but he couldn't because he went to jail. If you don't if you believe totally you get clear, if you totally get, say, I have to say this because most okay. people believe this. If you totally get your felony clear, all our listeners out there, if you have a felony and you're off your paperwork, you 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 know you served your time, you're not on probation, you don't owe them any money, then you can re-register to vote. But you have to apply for that right. Mm-hmm. And and our bailiff, we're gonna say the same thing. And I appreciate you for iterating that right there, Jen. And and estimate. Estimated 5.3 million Americans are denied their right to vote based on their past felony conviction. And I'm glad you add that in there, Jim. Number 10, studies have shown that people of color face disparities in wages following release from prison. Think about it, Jim. I can't eat. I can't make any money. What What am I going to do, Jim? I'm going to go right to that life of crime. Yeah, well, I'm going to go right back to that life of crime. So if I can keep that revolving door there, that revolving door to keep you going in and out, I got you on my books. I got you up here, you know what I'm saying, making my license place. And y'all, if y'all don't believe this, prison is big business. Big business. Look in, if, it's if, a slave trade. Exactly. If, if you don't realize how much of a business it, it is, if you're not familiar with the, the stock trade, the NASDAQ and all that right there, please... Look or ask somebody about it. You can find a lot of prisons on the NASDAQ. Look at the shares. Look how much it's worth per share. That means how much it's worth each, you know, how you break it down to 10, the ones and the pennies and all that. You know, they broke it down, and that's how much it's worth for each part of that prison to own it. It's big money. And guess who? Privatization of prisons is big business. I was just about to say, guess who owns it? Private corporation owns the prison. So that's how they make the money. They're looking at your child right now. They're looking at your child right now. And they say, and we reported this on one of our other shows, by the time they get to the third grade, they know if your child is going to be in prison or not by the time they get to a certain age point. And and these judges that we elect, because judges are elected, that we don't, no other election is more important than your state and local government election. Even more important than your president election, presidential election, I say, because we elect judges that they work together. Judges that get kickbacks from these private corporations to, you know, your child's, you know, just like they talk about Trayvon smoking marijuana. You know, mm-hmm. how many kids, you know, smoke marijuana? So a little, yeah, little sixteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have a six-year-old child comes up, you know, of court because they got caught in the park with, you know, a joint, and you get this kid sentenced to, you know, five years in prison. And it's because these people are working together because for every kid that he sends to that prison, he gets a kickback, and that's yep. happening. And that, that's the sad part about it. I want to mention something that uh, my good friend Joseph Ivy uh, put up. I was a little slow to get into it, Joe, but. He was saying that the media never classified white people committing crime against each other as white-on-white crime, but always mentioned black-on-black crime. I appreciate you putting that comment out there, Joe. I know you're not able to call in right at the moment, but um, I agree with that. But, you know, Gene, they, they work together because, I mean, that's how they keep the wealth. Not rich, but they keep wealthy because they, gonna, they know that if I can't do what I did in 1810, I know how to flip the game over here in 2013 to make me some money. 
I'm going to use your yeah. black butt one way or another. And keep continue to use you. I think probation is another slave trade. You know, I'm, I'm going to be able to lock you up whenever I want to. I'm going to, you know, be able to charge you money on a weekly, a monthly basis, you know, and then when I get ready, I'm going to put you back in prison and make money off you that way. Then I'm going to take you out and have collect money. for. It's, it's an unending cycle, and I think who we need to blame is ourselves. We need to blame ourselves because we elect these people. The, the people, you know, I don't care if you're black or you're white or brown or yellow, whomever you are, you know, if you know that there are injustices and we elect these people to office, we elect our judges, we elect our senators, we elect our representatives, you know, our congresspeople, we elect these people and we don't hold them accountable. How many of you that are listening online have ever called your congressman or your senator and asked them about the bills that they support, about bills that are putting your brothers and sisters and the people in our community in prisons? Or, or they're they're doing things that are eating our communities away. And how many of you have at, called their office? Anyone can call their office and ask them what are they doing or what are they thoughts and how they think because they're supposed to speak to you. And so many of us are not doing that. And the moment we start demanding accountability from these people, then the moment things will start to change. But we will, again, we've become so complacent where, you know, we're, we have our jobs and, you know, this and that, and, and we don't care. And we don't know that, the, the again, the house is on fire and, and no one is running. I agree, Jim. I, I want to ask an a ignorant question to you, and that is because, you know, some people may know, some people may not know, but how do we know, how do we find out the information about these judges when they're up for election because, I've been in the booth and I've I've voted. Some of these judges I don't hear anything about. I don't even know how to find information about them. And a lot of times you don't find out that they're on the ballot or running or don't have anybody running against them until the last moment because I'm ignorant of the facts. How do I go yeah, about it, finding out who these judges? Who who are these judges? You know, when it is a, an election year, it is your responsibility to contact your election office. Um, a lot of times they'll have questions on the ballot box, like they'll have questions about tax laws or voting for, you know, a particular tax or voting for, you know, like um, um, uh, Proposition 8, you know, for gay gay rights in America. And a lot of times, these, you know, when it gets on the ballot, it's confusing, but your election office has literature. They'll have a list of everyone that is currently running. They'll have their names, and it's up to you to call them, get them, and research. But who wants to do that? So many people don't, but but you must take it so seriously. If, if, if for everyone that blacks out their Facebook page, who you know continually share pictures about Trayvon and the other travesties that happen in this country to young youth who are killed unjustly or in prison unjustly, you do them an injustice if you don't follow. Up with you know, one thing I want to share with everybody too, and this is a statement also. I think that. I feel, and it's just my opinion, I feel like churches need to take a more of a lead role in, in that, that aspect also because you got the attention of a lot of people every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you may lose your little tax break or whatever the case may be, so be it. you got the community supporting you. You don't need these mega luxury churches and planes and all that. You never got it. And people have forgotten, the, like you said, Kevin, the importance of religion in a movement. Look at Malcolm X. He started, you know, with the Nation of Islam. Look at Martin Luther King. He started a Baptist church in Ebenezer. You know, religion plays a role in the movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, the, the way the preachers are now, 
you know, they're going to keep quiet because they don't want to lose that little tax break now. They or don't want to lose that tax break. Are, mm, I, that's so sad. Well, that's you know sad. what it is. Now, Jim, we're going to go ahead and get into this, this, this part right here, the solution. Do black people need to take another approach in educating our black children in life skills and etiquette? Um, there's a lot of things that I could say about that right there. Um, but before we get to that, now I know we were just talking about education. We, I mean, we're talking about education. But before I get to my, my comment, I have a, a clip I want to play by Dr. Umar Abdullah Johnson. Um, if you go over to our Facebook page, I can put the uh, link for the whole entire segment on there. It's 55 minutes, y'all, but it's worth the watch. But I, this kind of intrigued me. I wish I could have got a better, you know, better clip and, you know, got this a little bit better. But I want y'all to peep out what this brother is saying, especially at the end of this clip in regards to racism and education. And it's not just the etiquette part of it that we're going to get into, but y'all check this out. It's the Blog Talk Radio, The Middleman. Racism? Is it classism, perhaps? Uh, where does that come into play? And how do we make this this switch? What is it that we're going to do that's going to allow us to not to no longer simply say it's racism without saying, and this is how we do it? Because our ancestors faced many more challenges mm-hmm. than what we did and did it. Not all of them, but certainly a significant period after that Reconstruction from 18 from 65 to 1900. That 35-year period was the biggest leap educationally, socially, and politically. So mm-hmm. how are we going to face what we say today is keeping us back? And holding us down. Well, firstly, I would say that if you look at the statistics on education, you'll find that what's being done to African-American boys is not being done to any other boy in this country. White boys don't suffer the types of educational racism that black boys do, nor do Hispanics. And this is even reflected in the research. There is no other child in this country who faces the type of uh, barriers that African-American males do. So they don't have an equivalent, so we cannot uh, lump our situation in with any other group because no other group suffers what we suffer. Um, As far as what we can do about it, it, it comes down to organization. Kwame Therese Stokely Carmichael said that if you organize a little bit, you get a little bit done. If you organize a lot, you get a lot done. Um, it, but if you don't organize at all, you don't get anything done. And our problem is that we're not organized. You have to organize the fight against anything. And the reason why other ethnic minorities in this country are able to get some concessions and make some progress is because they do everything as a group. But unfortunately, we as a group of people are still infected with post-traumatic slavery disorder, which basically means we tend to fight more than we do anything else. As the Honorable Marcus Garvey said, we're a race of people cursed with petty differences. And until we overcome those petty differences, it's going to be difficult for collective progress to be made when so many of us are not even proud of being black in the first place. Ooh, did you hear that, Jen? Did you hear that, Jen? I wanted to make sure I had that last part come in there. Because, look, we've, we've spoke upon that before as far as not proud of being black. You want to be everything but black. I'm Indian. My, I'm mixed. I'm this and that. But when it comes to the educational aspect of what our young men are facing, just like we're talking about the vilification of black males today, and that, and, and, and part of that speech, I mean, part of that 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 that, uh, that that show that I got on our page over on the Middleman Talk Show on Facebook, he was saying that some teachers walk into the situation dealing with young black men and say, "Hey, off the off the top." You know, he's unteachable. And the first thing that they do, they put him in special ed or they put him on that medicine to dope him up. 
Next thing you know, they drop out. What happens then? Get in trouble, get into the system, boom, prison. All that starts with that simple thing of believing in the child. He said, other races are afforded that when they walk into that same classroom, they are afforded the fact that, oh, he might do well, he's smart. So the, the teacher will pay more attention to them. They will look at what these guys are doing and say, hey, you can make it. But they look at the black child, ah, he, he's in trouble, he, he has attitude, he, he don't focus well, things of that nature, and they throw him to the wayside. And that's why we have so many of our young men facing these problems. That's why so many of our young men drop out of school. That's why yeah. so many of our young men give up. But that clip was powerful. Jen, what do you think about that clip? I thank you for for really posting that clip. I thought it was powerful. I thought he spoke a lot of truth, and I think it speaks to what we do to ourselves. And I, I really, I'm, you know, I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Honestly, I'm going to watch it now. You know, please go to the middleman page with me. Watch that clip. Um, I'm, I'm very intrigued because what he said, you know, spoke spoke to me and and, and should speak to all of us. Oh, you don't want to and get, not just get black people. And I think that sometimes, you know, we. Not just black people, because until other races and until other people acknowledge that there's something wrong and that, you know, we have to fix it, we have a problem, too. You know, I don't know how how to get other people to understand, but, you know, we have to have some accountability on the other side as well. Yeah. If they don't want to recognize it, it's like, like just... I mean, it's just like you cannot ignore what's going on. You cannot. How can you be? I, I'm baffled by it, Jean. How can you be that blind to see what's going on? But yet and still, they dehumanize us. They dehumanize You know what I'm trying to say, dehumanize. I know. And like you said, young oh child that you said, you know, a teacher might deem him, this child is sleepy in class. And, you know, he's always asleep or he's not really paying attention. And they deem him lazy. When they might not know that you have an abusive situation going home or you have a little kid that has a lot of responsibility because he has parents at work and he takes care of his children, you have a, you know, instead of taking that extra moment just to figure out what it is so you can adjust his situation to help him, you stamp him. And and you don't ever think that his, what's happening to him or his behavior goes behind some self-inflicting bad negative thing you know and like you said it just proves that how how we are dehumanized or not seen as human back mm-hmm. to the case of marissa in florida did the judge ever looked at this woman who had never had ever any criminal history before she fired that gun had an, a history of abuse with this man who was feeding her and yep. her eight eight day old baby was in the other room and she was afraid but no, all they saw was someone who was firing a gun in court in her own home. In her home, and, and 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 I just don't understand why you can. Where is the domestic violence folks that so you see their posters in doctors' offices? You see them in the streets with these little marches and parades and 4K runs. Where are these people for that woman? Where are they, these they, people? They don't for look that at her woman? as a part. I mean, number one, she's. She's going to be looked upon as a criminal. You know, she should have, you know, they love to say, you should have went to the letter of the law. It's the law. It's the law. But yet and still, not so many, you know, some years ago, we were not even considered human. We're considered cattle. Somebody's property. So should we have followed the law to that point? No, our, our grandparents, our forefathers fought for us to be 
here as humans and died and bled. Um, just even thinking about the whole aspect of education, Jan, um, just even the approach of it, you know, should we try a different approach? Should we go to homeschooling or just like the school up in New Jersey where the gentleman have a 100%, was it New York, I'm sorry, we had a 100% rate of graduation for young black male in the all-black male school. Should we go mm-hmm. to that route, that extreme, to ensure that we have a future in our community with our young black males? Because we need more lawyers. We need more doctors. We don't need rappers. We don't need basketball players. We don't need football players. We don't need that. And if you're out there pushing your child to play sport and they're good at it, fine, but also have the same intensity for education for your child as you do for sports. And if you don't show it to them PTA means, and I can't I can't front and flex. Sometimes I miss them because of work. But I'm going to try my best and do more and do better. But make sure you're there because if you don't know what's going on at those PTA meets, they're going to sell you down the river and you might not even know it. They sure do. Take it for someone who served on a PTA before. I think that what's important is if you can't come, like, you just have to take personal responsibility. Do we need massive segregation of schools? No. Schools, with the school example that you gave, I think they're wonderful, but everyone can't afford those options. I think that parents, number one, should take accountability of what, like, um, Lavelle said, that he thought, you know, that's not allowed in my home. Congratulations to you for having the courage and the strength to say, not in my house. And right. you know that that excellence is going to be be made. Or, you know, I commend him for saying that. More people need to step up and and have those kind of actions. Not in my house will this be acceptable. So many people need to. And if if you see someone who doesn't have a parent that to have that kind of strength, when you see that child and they're alone, have have the courage to to say something encouraging to that child. Because believe me, when you plant seeds, things grow. Hey, that's true, Jim. You know, one one thing I, I'll be honest, I have to disagree with the fact of not being able to afford those situations with the schools. This is what I will say, Jen. If if we all get on one accord, and that's the thing about, it, like he said, the doctor, um, um, doc, you know, the doctor was saying, um, if we get on one accord and we all understand what the, the end goal is, we can donate five dollars to a fund. And I know that may sound unrealistic, but we can donate five dollars to a fund. And we could build these schools in all our communities one by one by one. Because if we spend $3 trillion in this country, Jen, you mean to tell them we can't spend a couple of hundred thousand to make some schools for our kids? That's right. You're right. You're right. And if, if George Zimmerman can rake in $30,000 a month in a his month. little raggedy fan, uh, uh, raggedy little fund, you know, I'm sure that all of us could take up a collection and, and you know, do something better too. And you're right. That's, that's to me self accountability. And, and we we must keep each other in check too. That goes back to my earlier point of being a creator. You know what I'm saying? We have to create these opportunities for ourselves, our teachers. Look how many our teachers facing all this craziness in the school system that they know they can't teach the way they want to or need to because of the system, the way it's set up. This is what they portray and put out there for them. This is what they mm-hmm. put out there for them. You gonna teach like this, knowing that. I need to help little Ray Ray over here with this because Ray Ray got these issues at home, and I'm, I'm privy to it, so I'm going to help with school. Like, no, nah, you can't get involved in that. You can't get involved in that at all, at all. But the life skills and the etiquette, the sagging pants, you know what I'm saying? That's the big issue of the day, Jen. You know what I'm saying? Not, not the cussing in public, 
around older people and grown people doing stupid stuff. How can we get back to the point where we have etiquette and class and dignity for ourselves and our people? I think, like you said, I don't know. I, I don't know how to fix this, and let's just be honest. And I think we need to have more forums where people come together and they put our, their heads together and people get their different opinions and talk, just like how we're talking right now, so we can come up with ideas on how to fix this. Because on the other hand, on the other side of the argument is that the numbers that you read earlier about crime and how, you know, people think black people cre- create so much crime and they're doing this, and that's just not true. You know, if kids think of themselves in that way, like I said before, we need to repair some self-esteem. We need to repair some self-images uh, and, and be more examples. And I think that's the first first step that we, we need to take as a people it's very alarming to me that we have to have the conversation with our children that you cannot just be a kid and and that we have for centuries passed that down to our children. You know, it was passed down to the people before me and before that and before that, and I will pass it down to my son. And I that makes me sad. That makes well, me sad that he can't be a kid. He He has to think beyond a child that you better not, a CNN, a man on CNN said a very alarming thing. You know, I used to tell my son, don't run because it will make you suspicious. Now I, I don't know what to tell him. Don't run. Don't just stand there and take it. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because they create laws where it's okay for them to kill you. Yeah. And you I, know what, Jim? I, I don't know. Jim, they they created laws to kill us, but they've been had laws to kill us, Jim. They used to hang us and hang around. That's what a word for y'all that don't know the word picnic come from. Pick a N word. They used to pick us out and go hang us so they can have a campfire and, ooh, look at them burning and show their kids. Y'all look at the pictures through history and see that. That used to happen back in the day. But we cannot live through fear. And I'm talking as a man right now. Yes, you want your child to be safe. You want your child to be, 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 be loved and cared for. But guess what? In this world, if somebody, you know, you, you can't have the cowardice mind state. Because I'm not saying no. to sit, to sit up there and put yourself in a dangerous situation. But... To sit up there and, and live from this field, we know better than the ones that causing it. Our grandparents and their grandparents, the people before them, did they live through field gene? No. No. If you want change, you got to be that change. If you're going to sure. die for it, die for it. If you're going to stand for it, stand for it. You got to do something. We got to make this change up. And let me ask you this, Kevin. Let me ask you this. As a mother, see, I I have a son who will grow up one day to be a black man. And we said this last time. Please go back and download our show, um, The Vent, The Verdict, you know, um, where I said, like I said, I would never, ever, ever compare myself to our ancestors. But, you know, historically, as black women, we've had to tell our sons to be weak because we don't want them to be killed. And as a black mother today, faced with this verdict and situation like this, what do I do with my son? Do I tell him not to be a strong person? Do I tell him not to, you know, to weaken himself for survival? What What do you say to mothers? Well, what I would say to mothers out there, you, number one, you don't want your child to be weak. You don't want to emasculate that young man by any means because he is a product and a part of our future regardless of us being here. This moment and this time that we are going through is just that. Now, it's up to us to do something at this moment, at this time, to change the outlook that's going to happen 10, 15 years down the road. So 
I don't want anybody to sit up there and tell their kids to be afraid for their life. You know, there are certain things we're going to have to get some type of protocol where if someone, someone does walk up to you like George Zimmerman, you know, you can run, get away from them. But sometimes you're like what Trayvon had to do, and yes, the case did not turn out the way that we wanted it to, but you have to fight. He fought for his life to the death. I don't want anything to happen to my son, my daughter, but at the same time, I tell them, you ain't going to let nobody do you. I'm not saying go start a fight or anything like that, but when it comes to protecting your livelihood and your life, you have to fight with everything because you cannot sit up there and die just sitting up there like that, just just die for nothing, for nothing. No. And, yes, Trayvon death is for, it's not for nothing. We, we at this moment and at, the, at this point, this mind state because of well, the sacrifice that he gave. So we're going to use this and push this forward and make this energy grow into something more positive for our people. That's what we're going to do. But as far as when it comes to our sons, never let him cower to nobody. Because you know what? His bloodlines represent kings. His bloodline represent leaders. His bloodline represents the earth, just like our young ladies. Mother of the earth. And everything comes from them. We do appreciate everybody that tuned in to the Middleman Talk Show tonight. Today we did talk about the vilification part two, the image of the young black male on trial. We thank everybody for taking the time to listen to this show. Shouts out to our co-host Nick Eden. Shouts out to our co-host Al. Out there with a distinguished brother. Brothers, you know what I'm saying? So we want you guys to come back and, and tune in with us. We have a, a, a gambit of shows that you can go in our archive and listen to our shows. Make sure you go download these shows. Put them in your iPod. It's on iTunes. You can download it. It's free. Share it with a friend. Start the conversation. Start the dialogue. Go through our archives. Yes, we got some silly shows in there, but we got a lot of serious stuff. And like I said, repetition makes things happen. You got to have it over and over again to make that effect. Just like if you want to take medicine to get better, you might have to take it more than once. And this is medicine. Uh, we do have a caller. We don't have our call screener today, but... Uh, Caller, uh, last digit, 3998. You're live with the middle. What's up? Did you have a comment? All right. Probably push the button by mistake. If you want to make a comment, press the number one. Take yourself out and push number one again if you want to make a comment. But as we come to the close of this show, I want to tell everybody that have nephews, sons, uh, you know what I'm saying, any males in your family, let them know to keep their heads up. We're not cowards. We never were cowards. Get educated. Educate not just by the, the the standards of what they have us learn in America. Learn more than what they're teaching us at this moment in time. That You know what I mean? I hope y'all follow me with that one right there. Learn yeah. as much as you can. Each one, teach one. I enjoyed the show today, Jen. I, I'm getting kind of yeah, worried because I'm, I'm kind of like <laughs> on to go in, but I'm trying not to. <laughs> no, we need to open and honest discussions, and and that's what we are are committing to our listeners, and that's what we're committing committing to our communities because we're we're not going to be a disservice. We're going to be a help. We're going to have these conversations so more people start having these conversations in their communities. Oh yeah, share it with the beauty shops. I know y'all girls going to the beauty shop. Y'all women going to beauty shops. Share it at the beauty shop. Put it on that little dock station and play it. Barber shops do the same thing. You can download it, play it. Uh, you can also become a member over at our Facebook page. Make sure you do that. Uh, it's the Middleman Talk Show. Hey, send a request. We'll bring you right on in. If you got something crazy that you're posting, we're going to take your butt out. 
keeping it real. Tell a friend to tell a friend about us. We're on every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Also, this Tuesday, coming up Tuesday morning, takeover with our man Nick Eaton. Make sure you tune in to the Tuesday morning takeover. If you want to hear some live, good R&B, independent music. Independent. Nothing that you're going to hear on the radio hardly at all. But I'm going to tell you like this right now. You're going to be bobbing your head at work. Your boss is going to be like, what's she listening to or what he listening to? And you're going to love that music. I'm telling you, you might want to turn them on to it. Ain't no cussing in it. So it's friendly for everybody. You know what I'm saying? And this Thursday, Talk of the Town. It's an entertainment show. We discuss everything in the entertainment realm. So y'all make sure if you got any artists out there, anybody like that, y'all want to tune in and talk about the business and everything, how we can correct some of that mess, join us this Thursday. And that's 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, also, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't miss Tuesday morning takeover. That's 10 a.m. Eastern to 12. 10 a.m. Eastern to 12. So that's 9 to 11 Central, y'all. 9 to 11. No CP time. None of that. You might get in on the middle of the show and miss half of everything they did. But once again, thank every last one of you guys. We are the middlemen. This is Kevin, and we have my great, lovely co-host, Jen. Jen. All right, I, I know you was gonna get it somewhere in there, but uh, <laughs> we do appreciate you guys. Make sure you tune in with us next Sunday. I think we should be back at full force. If not, we gonna hold it down. We gonna have a great conversation. If it's only me and Jen, I don't know if I can talk this long by myself because I get kind of crazy with it. But <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> But uh, make sure y'all tune in, and then hopefully we can converse this coming up week. And like I said, once again, tell a friend, tell a friend. We are the middleman. Thank you once again. See you soon. Bye, everybody. The middleman shouted. Big Crit shout yeah. it. Now I ain't sure what you was tuning in to. We'll pay attention to the real talk. What we here for? Go take a listen time. I take a minute. Shout in and learn some. Put your mind to grind the world. You destined to earn some. Linda, yeah. Comment on what you hear. Let's figure out the master plan and put this thing in gear. Don't matter if you hood or you corporate. Don't get you got a wheel to do way better than you were doing. Well, then you fortunate. Take a stand. Stop complaining about what you ain't got. Hating on the next man because he was dying to Shop. Every Sunday, tune in, go live, 6 p.m., blog talk, radio.com, the middle me. Hey, what's happening in the middle me? Hey, what's happening in the middle me? Hey, what's happening in blog talk, radio.com, the middle me. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.